Welcome to Gleaning and Gathering. My name is Eric Heimlich, and I'm your host, and it's good to be back with you again. Uh, this past week has been a busy one, and I've got a lot to chew on, and I've been chewing on the topic particularly of belonging. I was at a conference this last week for a little bit, the Evangel Conference, and their theme was Friendship and Flourishing for Missions. It was uh, insightful. There were a lot of really great connections. Um, there were six different countries besides the United States represented uh, from around the world, and a lot of leaders that were working particularly among the incarcerated or among uh, people that are uh, ex-offenders coming out of prison. And so um, there was uh, an emphasis there on th the whole idea of really uh, the church and the church not only outside of prisons, but the deep connection that many on the inside of prisons feel to each other in the church that's there. Dr. Don Davis from Wichita, who's been the leader of the Urban Ministry Institute, spoke in several different sessions. And in one of those sessions, he said something that really intrigued me. He said that many times people identify with a particular church or organizational group, but identity or identifying with is not the same as belonging to. He asked a question, who claims you? Who is it that if you are lost, they're going to come looking for you? Because they're going to say, he belongs to us. You know, I think there is something missing today from many people. And in their experience, we've so privatized the relational aspect of our relationship with God that there is a lack of emphasis on us together. And it's interesting to me that a lot of Ephesians is written in the plural. It's written to, to y'all, as they would say in the South. Even in the Sermon on the Mount, we see it, ye are the salt of the earth, ye are the light of the world. And again, w the way we hear that, the way we listen to that is immediately distributive. You, 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 and you are the light of the world individually. But that's not what it's saying. It's saying all y'all together are the light of the world. Ye are the light of the world. A city set on a hill that cannot be hid. And so this idea of many lights together being united and the idea of a community shining the light of Christ is something that um, I, th I feel like has been at least neglected or minimized within our, within our tradition. This idea of belonging to a people, who claims you? There may be many things that we identify with and that you know we call our music or our media or our preferences, but are we claimed? Is there a group of people that if we are lost are going to come looking for us? He began to share a little bit from Paul's experience, Paul's life, and, and his words to the Philippians and also then to Timothy. He says in Philippians 2.28, 
I hope to send Timothy to you shortly. And again, Timothy is coming to them as an extension of Paul. And his relationship with Timothy is such that he is able to send him and charge him and release him for mission. There is a recognition that Timothy is not just a freelance operator. There is a a strong sense that Timothy is coming from Paul and that what he is saying is communicating the truth that Paul has poured into him. And so that next step, as we are claimed, that there's a charging, a sending, a releasing for mission, and that that is all part of this way that God intended it. What I've what I've committed to you, Paul says in 2 Timothy 2.2, commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others. And so there's this passing along that happens, but it doesn't just happen in a vacuum. It's relational. And it's not just we're all unrestricted free agents that have yet to sign with a team. There is a belonging, that sense of being claimed, being part of something is so vital, really. I had a a conversation this past week with a, a young man who was going through some really challenging situations. And I began to ask some pointed questions. I asked him about his marriage and how his marriage was doing, if he was still dating his wife. And then I ask him this question. I ask him, who's watching for your soul? And he really couldn't name even one person that he was spiritually submitted to and that was really watching for his soul. And it saddened me. He recognized the need for it. He recognized the the desire for it. And yet... He wasn't in that kind of relationship. And he was in a very difficult spot. A spot that desperately needed that kind of input from outside his own head, from outside of where he was at. He couldn't see through the the weeds that he was in. And yet, he didn't have anyone who was really looking out for him who was going to come looking for him when he was lost. And I think the the key in this that I see is that the impetus is on us who are strong and that are the ones that are spiritually mature need to go looking for those and calling those into relationship It's interesting to me that in Mark chapter 3, verses 13 through 15, Jesus is charging them and he's giving them a a, a ascending moment. But when is he doing this? He's doing this really, if, if you look at it chronologically, before he has trained them. When you look at the curriculum that Paul points to 
in in 2 Timothy 3 verses 10 and 11, you know, what curriculum does Paul use? He says, you have been with me. It's his life. That's the curriculum. And so he's able to charge him in 2 Timothy chapter 4 verses 1 and 2. Uh, this is this is an assignment, not just a suggestion from some person that uh, barely knows Timothy and, you know, he could take it or leave it depending on what he wants. No, this is coming from Paul, the man that he belongs to, that that is his father in the faith. It's the relationship that makes this possible. You know, there's a popular form of Christianity today that's really just a form of consumerism. It's your way, the right way at Burger King now. You can choose to be part of whatever church you want to be part of. You can join. It's all up to you. You can join in and and you can choose to stay home. And and so now, uh, you know, a person who attends church at least uh, once a month is considered a regular attender in terms of it being something that people can depend on them being there or that they're, you know, a regular committed part of it. That's, that's something that's just passe, you know, in many circles. They could take it or they could leave it. You know, churches, it's like your grocery store or your gym, you know, it doesn't belong to you. And you don't belong to it, but you choose to use its services. You come and you you access services there. And so if you don't like Meyer, go to Walmart. If you don't like Walmart, go to Aldi's. If you don't like Aldi's, drive to Kroger. You've got options. You're a consumer. It's, it's your way. You can do it whatever way you want. If we're not careful, we carry that thinking over into the church. And so there's not any real commitment. There's not any real sense in which we belong to each other. Or to use the biblical language in Romans 12, you're the body of Christ and members together one of another. You know, to really belong to a body is, uh, is, is the picture that we're given in Scripture. And how can the hand say to the eye, I don't need you? or to the foot, um, you're, you're not important to me. It's all interconnected. It's all part. It's a, um, an integral part. It's connected together. That's the way God intended it. But if we're not careful, we trade that organism for organization. And so we live at a very safe, shallow level asking questions that are only designed to get the the surface answer that we're looking for. So how are things going for you? How was your week? Questions that don't probe any deeper, that don't have any more real meaning than the socially constructed outcome that we are expecting. Fine, good, great. How are the kids? How's the wife? How's the dog and cat? And we move on to the next casual surface level conversation. And again, that's probably
probably to be expected. Do we really want to just dump everything out there uh, in front of uh, of everyone and and talk about uh, you know the challenges that we're facing in our marriage or the challenges that we're having with our children or the kinds of concern that we have about losing our job at work or all the other stuff that's that's filling our minds and depressing us or causing anxiety or keeping us up at night do we do we really want to dump all that out there in front of these very nice people that uh, come in well dressed on a sunday morning and if truth were told probably are dealing with some of the same sorts of things but hiding behind the mask and continuing to just keep up appearances is many times the way that we deal with that or don't deal with it. At the end of the day, who do we really belong to? Where is there a sense of real commitment to a people, but also a commitment of those people to us? When the man who's been part of this church raises his hand and say, pray for me, I just lost my job. What is our response? Of course, we're going to pray for him. But to what extent are we responsible for each other? To what extent do we see ourselves as the hands and feet of Jesus extended to a brother in need? Are we just saying through our silence, be warmed and be filled? I hope it works out for you is the subtle message underneath the surface. But if you guys lose everything and you're not able to keep up your mortgage, uh, you know, it's the way the cookie crumbles. Hope it works out in the next place. And the subtle message I'm afraid that we're sending many times to people is you're on your own. And again, I don't want to paint this with too broad a brush because I know that there are many communities that have surrounded and have fulfilled that kind of love and care for people that are going through brokenness and difficulties and tragedies and medical issues and and a variety of other things that life and living in a broken world throws at us. So I know that there are communities out there that do that. And I know that I've seen the body of Christ act in that kind of way. But I guess the question that, that I'm asking for myself is, am I fostering that kind of community of belonging And am I being the kind of person that is truly growing in that? I've been chewing on that. Because I think that many times the the challenges in missions and being sent out and going to another place are overwhelming in themselves as you travel around to the 51st church and make your presentation again and endeavor to share the truth and the opportunity and all of that and hope to be able to string together a a semblance of support for your family as you begin to head to this foreign place and then you get there and you hope that uh, that connection holds up through the newsletters that you send back and the 
the stories that you share. But after you return back from all of that, what are you returning to? And where are you going that's really home? And who's going to be there to receive you? It's a challenge that many missionaries have faced. And I don't think it's just missionaries, and and I'm certainly not uh, just pointing at that, but I think it highlights the, the challenge that we face in that to really welcome people, to really create hospitality and go that extra mile and be there for people, it's challenging. And so for many of us, we we just endeavor to take care of ourselves and hope that we can do that. Then if everybody else does that too, then maybe somewhere along the way, there might be a little extra somewhere, enough people with enough discretionary time, enough discretionary income to be able to do this thing we call church. And hopefully people will volunteer and and uh, it'll come together and make that happen. And whatever it is that we can do there uh, is great. But to what extent do we really see ourselves as belonging? Belonging to? Too often, I'm afraid we don't. And for good reason. If they're not going to be there for me, why should I be there for them? And there's this this sense of selfishness that takes over that we've got to take care of ourselves. Nobody else is going to take care of number one. I've got to. And I think in a certain sense, everyone needs to take responsibility for their own personal situation. Let every man bear his own burden. And yet, bear ye one another's burdens. And so fulfill the law of Christ. It's both true. Both of those truths are are held together in tension. Let every man bear his own burden is the only way that we can together then bear one another's burdens. If everybody's riding the wagon and nobody's pulling, it's going to be a pretty tough ride and a pretty tough pull. But if we're all working together, well, that's a different story. But I think human nature is, if there's a wagon to ride, let's ride the wagon. <laughs> Which is one of the reasons why communism doesn't work. It's a, it's a great idea. You know, let's all just ride the wagon equally. But what happens is, is that uh, our human, fallen, selfish nature takes over. And we don't like to pull... And we don't like other people writing, <laughs> at least not very far. And so, how does it work? Well, many times, the only way it works is for everyone to bear their own burden. Everyone has their own job. Everyone has their own house. Everyone has their own responsibilities. Everyone has their own car, their own stuff. That's the way it works. Free market capitalism because of fallen human nature, it's necessary. In the book of Acts, in in chapter 2, you see people so filled with perfect love that they want to come and lay down the extra at the apostles' feet. 
because they just, they want to. There's no mandate. There's no dictate. There's just love. And out of a heart of love, they're coming and bringing. And there's no need named among them. And it's a beautiful picture of people who have a desire that goes beyond. But you can't make a legislated law out of that. You, you can't say, okay, now everybody's going to do this. And there's some that have tried to. Let's, let's do this. Everybody's going to have a common purse here and we're going we're gonna to just all share equally. But there's a lot of challenges with that. And one of the first challenges is, is that unless your heart is filled with perfect love and so are the other people that are there, it ends up devolving very quickly into a situation where we're all equal, just some of us are more equal than others. To uh, quote Animal Farm. And so that's the the challenge is that uh, we need each other. And yet how do we balance that truth of every man bears his own burdens with bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. But without going to that extreme, without going all that way and saying, okay, let's, let's all just think about this in the most extreme manner possible. What about belonging? What about becoming a real part of a community where you are and really, truly being there and being there for others in the way that, that you desperately need people to be there for you, being present being available physically, emotionally, spiritually, praying for your brothers and sisters in Christ there, and making your time, talent, and treasure available to that group of people that you have committed to share life with in that place and really be there and dwell deep there and and be present there, really belong there. I know it's a challenge. I know that there are difficulties involved in that. And you could probably send me a long list of excuses why you're not a part, why you don't belong, why you haven't found that great place to commit to. And it reminds me of an illustration that Dr. Stephen Gibson gave a few years ago in his... um, sharing on the Ephesians paradigm, but he said, you know, when you look at the blueprint of a car and you see it there and, you know, it's all laid out, there's very specific details and you just imagine that you have a part that's a piece of that car. You have the spark plug and you look at the picture of the car that's painted in scripture, that that picture of the body of Christ and members together one of another and think, wow, that's that's amazing. That's beautiful. That's a great, great dream. It's never going to happen. But tell you what, if you ever get that car actually running, I'll be willing to put my piece in. What happens? What happens if everybody does that? What just what happens if most people do that? 
it becomes a self-fulfilling kind of prophecy. Of course it'll never get running. If everyone else is just like me, what kind of church would this church be? You're not going to have a, a, a car running down the road if half the parts have been left out. If half the parts aren't actually connected, you're not going to have something that's going to run. And then people can stand back with their arms folded and say, see, I told you it wouldn't work. Yeah, it didn't work. Because we failed to commit in the way that we are called to commit. And so really putting our spark plug in and in faith being willing to trust that God is building his church and that as messed up and as difficult and as challenging as it may be to stand in there and to be shaped, God in his sovereignty is working on me at the same time that he's working on all of these other people that I belong to and that belong to me. The desire of my heart is to continue to grow in that, growing my understanding of that. I've got so far to go, but I'm thankful for the life that I share together with the people here at the gathering at Victory Acres. I'm thankful for the lessons that God is teaching me here. And as challenging as many of those lessons may be, I wouldn't trade them. And I'm thankful that God has given me this opportunity. I want to be a grateful recipient of Christian community. And I hope you do too. So that's just some of the thoughts that are rolling around in my head tonight. And I wanted to share it with you for gleaning and gathering. God bless.